Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. Frogs lose a heartbreaker to the Texas Longhorns, 29-26. Frogs come up just short in a miraculous, and we'll talk about it, fourth quarter comeback. But my goodness, this was a tough game for the Frogs. It was a tough game to lose, and it was a tough uh, 30 minutes in the second and the third quarter to watch. I felt like we were watching um, just Groundhog's Day of the last several weeks, and then all of a sudden everything came alive. We started all right, and then it came alive in the fourth quarter, but it just didn't have enough time left and couldn't make one play after we had made a series of plays that got the Frogs right back into this ball game. Jeremy, I got like 47 bullet points that we'll go through. But, uh, you know, just, 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 you know, what was your angst at the end of the game after seeing everything unfold the way it did? We'll get into this and that and the refs and the calls and the fourth, you know, you know, four shots inside the red zone and whatever. We'll get to that. What do you got on your mind? I felt bad for a lot of people after the game, to be honest, because, you know, going into this game, none of us predicted it to be close. I think you had 53 points to, was it 53-19, or did you predict 53-6, something? I think 53-17. Okay. And I, it, at one point, I was on track. <laughs> all I mean, all of us were at one point. I think Jamie had 38-something. I had 41-14. So those are the kind of kind of games, Jeff, that you wish – that you're, you're, everyone's expecting, unless you're the diehard, cut me open, I bleed purple, you're never going to say your team's going to lose. You're always going to say they're going to win, even if they're down to their fifth-string quarterback. But that's a game where you you didn't expect TCU to play close, and in the first half they really didn't. It, it got away, especially that last minute of the first half. But I felt bad because this is a game that it just – epitomizes the whole season so close but yet so far away I wish you know for some of the fans sake that Texas would have just gone in there and did exactly what everyone predicted them to do which is win big and unfortunately you have a situation late in the game TCU's making a huge comeback and when you have Texas in third and 12 you're thinking man if if, T- if TCU gets the ball back, they might win. And I'm just going to be here to say, I, I said it in my rap reactions, if TCU gets the ball back, they win that game. I don't think Texas can stop them. I think Josh was too dialed in. I think Savion was getting open every play. Um, their other receivers were, were getting space. Jared Wiley was getting space. So that's, a, as you mentioned, to start this show, that was a heartbreaker. That was a heartbreaker for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, it's uh, – you know, hopefully it's a confidence booster. Hopefully it gives them enough confidence going into Baylor um, to go out and, and win a big one. And hopefully it gives them enough confidence when they go on the road Norman in two weeks and uh, see if they can get bowl eligible. You know, I know the comparison is not exact, but I, I remember actually sitting next to you in the 2019 Texas game where the Frogs uh, were struggling as well. We didn't The Frogs didn't even make a bowl game that year. But if I remember late in the fourth quarter uh, – TC was up uh, 10, I think. Um, they, they were up by two scores, and Texas scores, and they punt, I mean, they kick off, and TCU's got the ball, and they got to march the whole field. And I remember you and I looking at each other thinking, man, I think Texas is going to get a stop, and then and then they're going to get the ball back, and they're going to score. And what happens, TCU gets the ball back, 
connect on a deep pass to Tay Barber, one of many that game, and then Max runs the zone read, pull, and he, and he scores. And I thought, th- this is a moment uh, that's going to be similar to that. Josh Hoover's going to have his moment as a freshman. They're going to get the ball back late in the game after a mountain of comeback against Texas and, and drive down and be able to score, and it just didn't come together. There's a lot of factors for it. Um, so let's get into it. There, there's some great things. So we're just, I just want to tell you, if you're listening to this show and you want us to just blow the program up, this is the wrong episode to listen to. But if you think we're just going to go uh, and not have any criticism or any feedback, I, I think you're going to be disappointed as well. Because what you have to say, and this will be the first thing I want to talk about, Jeremy, anybody that wants to talk about Gillespie, I don't want to hear it. That was the lowest production on offense in terms of putting points on the board that Texas has had all year. You know, I was talking in the 50s. You were talking, you know, in the high 30s and low 40s. And and, and I, I, I loved the scheme that Joey Gillespie had. And guess what he did? He made halftime adjustments. We talked a lot about halftime adjustments that took place last year that aren't happening this year. They happened this year. And I don't know if you agree with me, but I was pleased with the defense that, uh, that Gillespie put out there. Yeah, I was too. Um, and obviously, there's still some lapses. It, there, there's still some some areas that need to be fixed. But you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this was this was not a easy offense to defend. I mean, you had Quinn Ewers who was playing very well um, this season before he goes down. He comes back. This is his first game back, but he didn't look like he had any rust in that first half. He completes fifteen and twenty-two for two forty-four. But I, I, honestly, I think Texas has the top receiver core in the Big Twelve. Um, Mitchell and and Worthy are the the top two starting receivers in the Big Twelve, in my opinion. Whittington's a great slot receiver. Jonathan Brooks is a great running back. C.J. Baxter, Baxter's a uh, backup running back, true freshman, five-star kid that's going to uh, put up some big yards in his career. The offensive line for Texas, um, to in, in my opinion, was right right there with Kansas State, and Texas might have even had a better offensive line. So for them to go in and shut down Texas not shut down, but hold him to under 30, That that's a testament to, to Joe Gillespie. I, I think the last two years when they've played Texas, I mean, you're, you're doing pretty well. Last year they hold him to three points down in Austin. This year they obviously uh, hold him to, to 29. But I, I think in some situations they were put in bad situations. Early in the first half when they couldn't get anything going, the defense was on the field for quite a while. And – you you give up a score late in the first half. You're on you're on the field for a long time. Offense gets the ball back. They throw an interception. Hoover throws that interception, and then defense is right back on the field. So I think that that really killed him. But overall, I give Gillespie a passing grade. I mean, this this was an A performance for him. I, I I don't think anything where I thought, man, why is he not dialing up pressure? Why is he not doing this? Why is he not doing that? I think there was a couple of things that were missed, and we're going to talk about it later. I think that first long. Uh, play they had, they missed a hold. I can't remember if it was on Jamoy Hodge or, uh, um, golly, Shad. Um, I, I couldn't remember if it was one of those two guys that were getting held, but TCU missed some tackles and lo and behold, there's a big play. Um, the tackling was better, I think, against Texas. Um, but the, the one thing I was worried about and I was asked, and I was asked this question by, Eric Henry from Horns twenty four seven. He he asked about Josh Newton and 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 I said Josh Newton hadn't really been tested this year, which he hadn't been. Teams kind of shot away, but Texas was not afraid to use those receivers and go right after TCU uh, cornerbacks, and I think that was the big difference in the game. 
Yeah, we're going to get to, you know, maybe a missed call or two or uh, later on in the show. But I'm just going to echo again what I said and sandwich what you said. I felt pleased with the defense. You keep Texas to 29 points, they you should be able to win that game. Another thing I do want to highlight that I that I thought was worthy of uh, celebration. I have that that fourth quarter team is the team that you and I and others thought TCU was capable of all year, and and we thought that was going to be with Chandler Morris, who had a whole lot more snaps under his belt than Josh Hoover does. That fourth quarter said to me, as you said in your article, your post game wrap up, there is still a team inside this team. There is still fight inside this team, and this is the team that we thought was going to be present. So I don't want to just simply celebrate what happened in the fourth quarter. I want to get inside of it. What did you see that shifted? What what was TCU doing on defense? What was TCU doing on offense? Because that was the best quarter of the season that the Frogs have played, in my opinion. And I'm not counting BYU. I'm talking about playing a team that was, uh, you know, has, has is going to be favored in every game until they get into the playoffs if they make it I loved what I saw in that fourth quarter tell me what you saw I don't know if it was as much adjustments as it was just like I said in the in my wrap-up just playing with heart just being motivated and having momentum and just seeing your team do well if, if you're an offensive guy and you're standing on the sideline you're seeing your defense go out there and make plays it makes you as an offensive player want to go out there and do the same thing so I think this was Kind of, you don't want to say this was complimentary football for the whole game, but I think it really was in that fourth quarter. Um, both both sides of the ball were feeding off each other. I think the offensive line finally woke up and they decided, hey, we we can block these guys. We can create a little running lane. Amani Bailey started to run the ball a little bit more. Josh Hoover was more dialed in. I think I think people are going to underestimate um, how good. Josh threw the ball in the second half. They're going to talk more about Texas's secondary being weak and them not being able to cover guys. But I think if you look at some of those passes, especially that 14-yard touchdown pass to Savion, man, it was right there on the money. Um, but I think I think what you had was just a team that maybe felt like their back was against the wall. Maybe they understood, hey, we have to win this game. Or maybe they just felt like, hey, let's go out and ruin Texas' season because if we if they lose to us – there's no way they're going to make the playoffs. And I know this morning people are going to – they woke up. Texas is they, – they watched that game, and they, and they said the same thing about TCU every week. TCU is not a top team. This team is not very good. Uh, this, this, this is a team that has to have changes. All those things that go into how in the hell did we beat a sucky-ass TCU team by only three points, we're no good. But I think you got to give TCU credit. I think – like I said earlier, this is the first time that they really just woke up, played with heart, and really wanted to pull something out. And fortunately, they came up short. Um, I, like you said, I, I, I think that's the team that we've kind of waited to see all year long. I don't think it goes as much with coaching changes or anything else as much as it does the players just decided, let's go out there, let's execute, and, and see what we can get done. Yeah, I don't want to boil it all down to want to, but in the fourth quarter, there was clearly a desire. I, I, I'll, I'll just go back to basically how the fourth quarter opened. When Amani Bailey cu- uh, actually kept his eyes up, found a hole, and then cut to the outside when they were driving to the north end zone and scored that touchdown, I, you know, I'm sitting on the couch watching the game, and like my back set up, and I'm like, there's time. They, they can do this. They, they have the potential to do this. And I didn't roll into the blame game like, well, why weren't they doing this in the second quarter? Why weren't they doing this in the third quarter? It was as if the whole team was experiencing what I did, which is 
we can do this. We can we can put points on the board. It was the first touchdown of the game, and from that moment on, everything seemed to break TCU's way on the field, minus a couple things that we will get into here. All right, let's talk about our favorite topic. You know that I am um, I'm unofficial. I'm biased. I think officials. Well, let me back up. I always get calls right as an official. Do you believe that, Jeremy? That all my calls tend to be correct and accurate. You got the Lord on your side, so yeah, I think you do make great calls. Oh my gosh, there's only so much bull crap we can put up with on this show. <laughs> All right, I've got three plays. I'm gonna, I want you to rank them and tell me which was the biggest blown. Let me get through all three of them. Obviously, when Brooks takes that pass, um, and we, you were talking about it before, we got Jamoy Hodge with a massive block in the back. I, if you follow me on Twitter, it was the picture, the screenshot. I stole it right off of Hornfrog Blitz, but somebody had a screenshot from the TV. Hodge, you know, Hodge just, uh, Hodge just gets nailed in the back, and Brooks takes off down the field. I hate that he got injured and his season is over. I hate all injuries that last longer than one day. Um, that was a terrible missed call that was a hold and a block in the back all in one. Second one is uh, no, no pass interference when the Frogs go for two in the north end of the end zone there in the fourth quarter. There's Savion Williams getting held, hugged. It's like he's in the receiving line after church. And he can't make a play on the ball. And they just keep the hanky in the pocket. And then the third one, the one that I'm going to go ahead and rank as number one garbage that ticked me off so much because it was right in front of him and there's no way to miss it. Um, John Paul Richardson, JP, takes that punt, comes storming up the sideline. He's three steps out of bounds, on standing on nothing but white for three steps. And a Texas player comes and lights him up. There is an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that is that is administered, but that's from a guy on the sidelines running his mouth that doesn't have his helmet on pushing JP. And they that should those those penalties stack. That is thirty yards of penalties, and the frogs only got fifteen yards out of that. And you can say, oh, it's no big deal because they scored. Well, they had to spend more time. That fifteen yards is time, and we needed all the time that we could get. So that's the one that piss me off the most if you can if you can't tell how angry I am because you can't miss those unsportsmanlike you cannot miss those uh penalties that that are clearly about player safety hey you miss a hold in the box whatever but how do you rank those three because I think they're all three garbage and the publisher that let it run is garbage that's my Mike Gundy impersonation well I think the the biggest one to me was the no hold on uh Hodge so I think that kind of set the tone. TCU kind of had some momentum. They're up three nothing, and it's like they've they did a great job. I think the first two series, that third series, I think that they scored on. They finally scored, uh, but TCU's defense came out on fire. And you give up a big play like that. Yeah, I was kind of critical of the missed tackles, but I mean Hodge did his job. Hodge was there to 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 make a play, and he just he just got held. Um, I ranked that number one. Uh, Savion's is number two. Uh, JP's is number three. I'll say this. Sonny was working the crap out of that sideline ref over there on, on their sideline. That guy would not call anything. He would not. He, he, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. That's what he says. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that TCU has a coach that will literally call out referees. He does not give one crap about the fine he's probably going to receive on Sunday afternoon from the conference when he's talking about 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 the referees. It it was so egregious at some times that 
everyone, everyone, whether you're following on the board, whether you're in the stands, it was so obvious that TCU was not getting any home cooking from those refs. I almost made a comment, and I'll say it here, but it's almost like the Big 12 said, hey, we need this playoff money. Let's let's make the right calls for, for the Longhorns, even though it's going to taste like vinegar if they do win the championship. But it's it just didn't seem like TCU was getting any of the calls, and that's not the reason they lost. I'm like, I, I know you hate to hear it too when refs get blamed for for losing. The only time I'll ever blame a ref for, for a loss is when um, in the NFL when the refs miss the, the pass interference on um, the Saints or was it the Saints around what, what, whatever? Yeah, play that was. it was the Saints. Yeah, yeah. Drew Brees. Yeah, down Superdome. Yeah, that play right there was the the biggest miss in referee history to me. And uh, but no, I I did not like the referee. Um, work from the game the other night. Well, trying to be fully transparent, uh, Texas was penalized, had seven penalties for 59 yards. TCU had six for 51. Um, and one of those penalties on Texas was not. There was no face mask on when, when Bailey went down. There, one of their D linemen, I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Murphy. Um, he just he just got a hold of him and threw him, and there was there was no face mask on that, and the Frogs got 15 yards and kept moving. So I'm not saying it all washed out, but I am saying when a guy's standing with two feet on the white and he's been out of step out, out of bounds for three steps, and then somebody lights him up, you gotta throw the flag. That's player safety. That that you know, there was some pushing on that sideline. That's how those things continue. Oh, you're not gonna throw a flag? I'm gonna push back. That's that is on the official, and I cannot that's my number one, and I'm still ticked off about it, and I'll get over it in the next two or three weeks, I'm sure. Sometimes with the referee, it's not it's not about the penalties that are called, it's about the penalties that aren't called. And even though Texas had more penalties called on them, there's some things that the referees missed. Um, that would have definitely been in TCU's favor. Well, let's have fun now. Let's break everybody's hearts. Let's go to two interceptions. Let's start with number one. Uh, Nook, Millard, Millard, Bradford picks one off, and he is hauling. He is making guys miss, and I think his dream of playing wideout in Division One was, was coming uh, alive right before his eyes. When he crossed the 50-yard line, in my house, by myself, I stood up and screamed, get down. Because I don't want to say I saw Jordan Winnington coming to, to knock the ball out. But I'm like, nothing good is going to happen now. You're not taking it to the house. Get down. Of course, Winnington does come, knocks the ball loose. Texas recovers. And, um, well, let's just say bad things happen. We got that interception. And then you've referenced it already. That interception right before half. Texas had scored the kickoff. I don't know if they're trying to get some yardage. I, I don't know exactly what they're trying to do. Um, and I'm not saying just kneel out the clock. Because if they would have kneeled out the clock, we would have said, why aren't you? Right? Why aren't they trying to score? Why aren't they trying to get some momentum going into half? Josh throws in a, a bad interception. He said that, uh, even, what did he say? Even Jesus Christ couldn't have thrown that pass. <laughs> he sounds like a, yes, he something did. from Major League. Yeah, he did reference, he did reference Jesus on, on that play, which I thought would make you happy. Are you telling me Jesus can't hit a curveball? <laughs> that was, that's all, you know, us, us, uh, us Gen X know what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> that's right. All right. Major League for all you kids out there. Best sports movie. One of the best sports movies ever. I, I think these do two things. One, obviously, they set up a strategic breakdown to where the frogs are in terrible shape. One of, you know, the fro- um, points came off of both of those turnovers. Nothing good was going to come off of that. And I think what that did to, 
uh, the perceived energy that the Frogs could have had in, in different moments in that half, especially coming into the third quarter, I felt like that was zapped. What what was your observations, not only of, of Nook, but of also throwing that interception right before half that led to uh, just led to a Texas touchdown? You know, it's it, on Nook's interception. He made a he made a great play. I mean, he he came over the top. It looked it, like Trey's interception against yes. last year. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was about to say. That's exactly uh, Quinn has Quinn has a habit of you know laying up those passes like that and, and leaving a lot of air underneath them. But Nook did make a great break on the ball. He, he intercepts it as he's running back. You know, everyone in the stands, Jamie even says to the left of me, he's like, dude, cover that ball. Like, hold it up. But he's carrying it so loose. Everyone knows. We talked to Sonny about it after the after the game. And this is one of those, is it the coaching? Is it the execution part? This was 100% execution. They, Sonny even said, hey, we tell those guys every time they get an interception, someone's going to be behind you. Someone is coming to strip the ball, protect the football. And it's it's what I said on on the game thread and and in my rapid reactions. That's just how TCU season has gone. It's just another one of these unlucky bounces that has happened to them. You get something great, and then boom, gets taken away a few seconds later. But that play, if you if you hold the ball, TCU gets the ball. They're going to have great field position. It another it's another reason why the game could have been completely different. Texas does go on to score that drive. And the rest is history. I mean, it's it, it's crazy how little things like that just just pop up during a game. The the Hoover interception. I think he's thrown two or three. I know he's thrown two interceptions off uh, that I can remember remember off the top of my head on that exact pass. Where when he when he rolls out to the right, he does not account for that linebacker that is sagging out that way well it's a it's it's a cornerback that baits them too because they'll have a, a receiver flat and so the corner just kind of baits between the, the the receiver in the flats and the receiver running the corner out and the same thing happened against iowa state now they did hit on a couple of those passes on saturday night but that corner just baited him perfectly and he gets it he gets the interception that was huge texas had just scored it, it, they made it 19 to six with 101 left in the first quarter. And then next thing you know, you look up, it's 26 to six going into the half. So do you, do you try to do something there with, with a minute left in the game with this offense, you're supposed to be able to move fast. A minute to them is like having two minutes or three minutes, a minute to them. They want to go try to score. I like, I like that approach. I like that because how many years did we sit and watch and and don't disagree now because you don't like Kendall Browse or Sonny Dykes or whoever. That you we guys, would complain about the offense turtling up. Yes, we would always complain about GP holding his three timeouts in the first half and them not trying to be aggressive, trying to score. And now that you have a team that does that, now it's like, why are we trying to do that? Why, why didn't we just run the football? Well, you couldn't run the football. You know what Jamie sent me today? John Lance, I'm and, – and, this is out there for public record. I'm not. I'm not making things up. I'm gonna. I, I got to get my phone out because I don't remember off the top of my head, and I don't want to make it look so so bad. Uh, so one of the offensive linemen had a 42.7 pass blocking grade last night. Another one had a 33.3. 
Another one had a 48.3. If I gave you three guesses, I guarantee you could guess where that came from. Came from the interior of the offensive line. So in the first half, they were not, they were not getting any runs. Um, they were having a tough time protecting, uh, Josh. So I think when you roll out, that's basically the only play they had. You had to move Josh out of the pocket, um, to create some kind of, positive play and unfortunately for TCU it didn't work but I didn't mind I didn't mind the aggressiveness I didn't mind the play call because like I said they hit on that pass a couple times Jalen had a a long gain from it Savion had a 34 yard catch from it so I'm not I'm not gonna just sit sit back and just you know clobber the coaches and say that's bad decision or clobber Josh for even throwing the football, but he, he owned up to it. That's one thing I like about Josh. That dude owns up to his mistakes. Um, he doesn't put it on anyone else except himself. And that's what it takes to be a good leader. Well, let's get even more depressing here. Um, Texas, our TCU comes out punts, then Texas punts in the second, in the third quarter, they come out, they trade punts, frogs get the ball and they are on one of the better drives of the year. You know, we got that great catch from uh, Jalen Robinson. Frogs get down there. It is first and goal at the four. That's what I got. I got first and goal at the four. We got to run to Bailey, lose a yard. Run to Bailey, gain a couple yards. And then uh, throw it in the end zone on third down, nothing. Fourth down, we go empty set. Nobody in the backfield. And we come up, as it would say, empty. First and goal at the four. Are you okay going for it on fourth down? Do you like the play call on fourth down? This is not the first podcast this season where we have come on here to complain about red zone execution. Um, but, th- you know, when I think about the moment, I, I mean, I never turn the game off. I'm not one of those people. I never leave early. Um, but, my gosh, if there was ever a moment where somebody's like, this game is over, or my wife told me I got to go run errands, or I got a sick kid and it's my turn, that's the perfect moment to do it. That was a – that. Th- you talk about this was a snapshot of the season. That is a failure of execution. I'm going to put it on players, and I'm going to put it on coaches. I'm going to put it on play calling. Tell me where I'm wrong. You're not wrong. I didn't. I didn't mind the fourth down call going for it because at that point they were down 26 to six in the third quarter. So if you, no one knows at that time that TCU. Hey man, if they would have just kicked the field goal there, then we would have been tied late in the game. Instead, no, of, so, I agree with you. Yeah, so I, I don't, I don't argue the call at all. You, you go for it there. First off, it was very plain to see that they were not going to get any push whatsoever with Bailey trying to run up the middle, and it showed. I mean, they got two runs for two total yards. I don't mind the fade ball to Savion, especially the way he played last night. Savion was your go-to guy. Um, the pass wasn't really there. Um, I would have probably rather had done that on a second down instead of a third down because you kind of put yourself in a predicament on the fourth down. Um, here's why I don't mind the empty set, but I'll tell you why I did mind this. I don't mind the empty set because it puts a lot of pressure on the defense to account for the quarterback, especially if the quarterback can run. They are not letting Josh run for whatever reason. They're not letting him escape, run the football. He's not the runner Chandler was. That's that's plain to see. They're not utilizing 
Josh in that same role. Maybe that's because Chandler looks fine on the sidelines, but he's really not. And maybe they don't want to hurt him more um, by playing him. And that's what I think why I think Josh isn't being uh, asked to run a lot because they don't want him to get run, hurt in a running situation. And then all of a sudden you have Chandler back out there who's not completely healthy because I think they want to stay as far away as they can from trying to trot out a guy um, that's third or fourth string quarterback, Jimmy Wyrick or, or Grant Tisdale. In that situation, I don't mind the empty set. I would have liked to have seen because number one, you're not, you're not, you've proven the first two downs, you're not going to be able to run the football against them. You're not going to be able to line up in 11 or 12 personnel and run the football at them. You're just not. Chase Curtis was out. That's, that's, that's another thing I'll mention. Chase Curtis being out has hurt their run game. Whether you want to admit it or not, people that are listening, when TCU lines up in 12 personnel, they've usually had success. And Chase Curtis, y'all want, some of y'all make fun of the, you know, he, he's not really a, a known name a few years ago. Well, now he is. He's a big part of that offense. He's a big body. Um, I think him not playing has hurt their run game a little bit and some of their play calling in run game, in run situations. But I, I would have liked to have seen a play in one of those four plays where you just run a zone read just to see if they even follow Josh. Because I don't think they would have. I honestly don't think they even cared about Josh running the football, but that's my long-winded answer. It was frustrating for them not to get any type of scores there, but I don't, I don't argue the them going forward on fourth down. I don't mind the empty set because I've seen with my own eyes they're not running the football up the middle against this defense, and they tried, they tried to throw to their hot receiver the six-five. 225 pound guy. They didn't, they didn't throw the fade route to a, to a five foot nine Jalen Robinson. So all you guys should be happy about that. They did throw the fade route to the right guy. It just, it didn't, it didn't happen. So, um, if you have a better offensive line in that situation, maybe, maybe you can get a little bit more creative, but I'm going to tell you right now. And, and we both, you and I said this several weeks ago, if you don't have your offensive line playing at a good level, you might as well just wad up your playbook and throw it in the trash because it's almost nearly nearly impossible to call a good offense if your offensive line isn't playing as well as they should be. No, you mentioned that interior three, and we would give anything for Ali, Steve, and Wes to be back. Does that sound fair? <laughs> I mean, it's. I, I know it sounds like we're picking on them and people are probably getting pissed about it, but – I'm I'm not I'm not saying anything different that people can't find on their own. And anyone that watches the game, they know they had a tough time with the interior of the Texas defensive line. It's 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 not any secret. If you popped up and watched the Cowboys versus Giants today, no one's gonna talk good about that offensive line. They gave up a hundred sacks. So we're just calling it as we see it. We're not trying to say you're you're terrible players, but the the it, it's it's getting witnessed by all. I mean, everyone knows where the issues are. Yeah, it's pretty obvious, even to untrained eyes like myself. All right, something I do want to get excited about. I think we saw the explosion of Savion Williams. I think we saw the 
the receiver that we've been needing. We've been talking on here for 10 weeks about how the Frogs need a dog. They need a guy at wideout that can uh, take the ball and get upfield. And a guy that we need 14 yards, who, who are we going to be going to? And I, this was the best game Savion Williams has played as a Horned Frog. I lo- we all know that he is an amazing blocker. He does an amazing job when he's out there on the edge blocking. But when he's a- he was able to get the ball in his hands and move upfield, I thought this was his best game of the season. Specifically, going back, I can't remember exactly where it was, and I'm not going to look it up while we're talking. I should have done it earlier. Takes that slant route. 43 yards, and he just turns upfield and turns and burns and outruns several of the Texas uh, defensive backs, did not want to go down. That was the best offensive – that was one of the most exciting offensive plays we've had all season because it's reminiscent of what the Frogs were able to do last year that they haven't been able to do this year. There's no fourth quarter without Savion Williams doing what he did. What's your take on Savion in this game, and do you agree with me that this is his best game playing as a Frog? Oh, yeah. I mean, 11 for 164. Career highs in both. Uh, and that, that play you're talking about where he just exploded, there was people, and, and I, I talked about this during fall camp, and, and a lot of people probably missed it, but there were people telling me that, hey, man, when we do all these ratings and we see how fast these guys are running, how many miles per hour they're running, Savion actually had the second fastest time on the team behind Darius. And I was thinking, oh, okay, well, Good, man. As big as he is and as uh, athletic as he is, if no one knows he has that kind of speed, man, look out. But he really hadn't, up up until a few weeks ago, been the go-to guy. But I'll just read you some stats. Against BYU, 6 for 77. Kansas State, 4 for 60. Texas Tech, 4 for 37. They didn't get him involved. 11 for 164 against Texas. So you have 25 catches the past four games. Six catches a game. There's a difference with him when Josh Hoover's back there playing quarterback. Josh has identified him as being the go-to guy, and and hopefully he kind of you know continues that trend the last two games of the season. Hopefully a third game if they make it to a bowl. But yeah, I mean Savion Savion needed to be that dog. He needed to come out and 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 be that guy. And guess what, Jeff? He still has another year of eligibility. He hasn't taken his COVID year. I wouldn't rule out him being a frog next year if, unless he goes out and has like 15 and 20 catches the next two games and everyone starts calling him from the NFL. But yeah, this, this was awesome for him. And, um, you know, he's a humble kid. He doesn't really like talking about himself a whole lot. He, you know, we had to tell Mark on Saturday, Hey, man, listen, you've got to get him to come out and talk to us because he's had, the best game of his TCU career. And, and, you know, he was, he was very humble and um, obviously you, you like that. You like that in a kid. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope that he continues to have this, this success because they're going to need him. They're going to need him in a big way the next two weeks. Does Jalen Robinson have another year? Do, do, is he able to come back? No, no he, he's no, done. he's, he's done. Warren Thompson, I believe is done. Dalen Wright has one more year. He's a grad transfer. He has one more year. Um, so they're, I mean, they're obviously going to be hunting. I mean, uh, we've talked about it on the board, Eric McAllister from Boise. I mean, that's going to be a receiver that they're going to go very hard after. He's a local kid from Maisel. Another um, celebrity you guys know from Maisel is, uh, is myself. So um, trust me in, in knowing that I'll be keeping my ear on the ground out here in the, midst of Parker slash Tarrant County to see what I'm hearing on the 
on Eric, but yeah, um, kind of went off road there just talking about receivers, but <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they'll have a chance to get some, some key guys back for next year. Well, that will be good. I mean, Hey, you, you're talking about the kid coming in from Boise, John Paul Richardson, Dalen Wright, Savion Williams. That's some talent. That that's a good four that we can go with. So you know, I think Wiley has another year if he wants it. So we'll we'll see where he goes on that. And I've, I've liked what I've seen from Rogers. So there, there's some things to be positive about. All right. Speaking of things that are not positive, let's go to that third third and twelve. Abraham and Mitchell right down the the sideline. That was just a tough play to watch. I'm not blaming anybody. That was a perfect catch. I'll tell you what, when it left uh, Ewer's hands, I thought he over I thought he overthrew him. I thought, oh, this is another one of these. But he puts that ball so high in the air, and I don't want to say it threw Helm off, but I could he have defended it any different? I mean, I hate when you just break down one play as if you and I could have been within 15 yards of him. But I just feel like that that moment could have been different, but I don't know what he could have done. You know, Avery, if if you just look from a pure athletic standpoint, if they had a pro day today, he might come up with the best numbers. He might run the – out of all the defensive guys, he might run the fastest 40. He may have the best vertical. He may have the best shuttle. He may have the best three cone. But if you if you look at some of the plays – this year with the TCU corners, they just, they just kind of get turned around and it on that particular play, he just got turned around. Like he, I don't want to say the only way I could describe it and he doesn't like it, but people are going to say he likes it. That's ball skills. Fine. Having good ball skills. You could be the best athlete on the team, but if you don't have ball skills, those kind of plays happen. I'm not saying Avery doesn't have ball skills because he's made some good plays this year, but that was just a, a play where didn't didn't track the ball. Mitchell is a guy that is very very fast, and you can see that right off the break. He gave Avery a little move, and then boom, he's down the sideline. As I said early in the show, there was there was no no backing away from targeting Josh Newton and Avery Helm. Xavier Worthy had 10 catches for 137 yards. That kind of got overshadowed by Savion's performance, but Mitchell had almost 70 yards himself. He's a guy that scored against TCU last year in the national championship from Georgia. So it that, that was a game that for the first time this year we saw, hey – we don't care if Josh Newton's got all this this uh, season hype. We're going after him because we got the receivers that could do it. And we saw Josh look human. He was giving up big play after big. There was there was one time where it was like the third or fourth big play he gave up, and me and Jamie look at each other like, "Man, Josh is having a hard time." And Stephen Johnson's like, "That wasn't Josh, was it?" We're like, "Yeah, that was Josh." And he's like, "Man, he's having a bad night." <laughs> yeah, he he he's having a bad night, but. You're going to have those, and and honestly, that's the first bad night he's had um, this season. Just just the way uh, those receivers were getting open, but yeah, you hate it for Avery. Avery's such a good kid. He's he's very polite kid. He's always fun to talk with. Loves being at TCU. 
Um, family's a great family. Um, but you just, you just wish that he could have turned around a little bit sooner or found the ball a little bit better. But, you know, that play right there is not the reason why TCU lost that game. No, it's not. It's what people will remember, but it is not why the Frogs lost. <clears throat> you know who I was pumped about? Griffin Kell. I was glad to see Griff get out there. Three for three, 56-yard field goal, second longest field goal in uh, TCU history. I think it – is that Michael Reeder that's got a 57-yard field goal? That, uh, him, him, and, uh, him and Legatron. Legatron, yep. Oh, yep. Old Jaden, yep, yep. So one yard shy, yeah. And where we're sitting in the press box, you can see that, like you, you know, you've been in the press box, and man, when that kick left his foot, you're like, man, this thing's gonna clear that easy. It, it was good. It was good to see him get get that get that 56 yarder on his uh, resume. Well, let's put that in the category of things to celebrate and things to improve on. So, all right, this is kind of my summary thought of, of the game, which really ties into the season, and then we're going to bounce around. Uh, we're going to talk about Texas for just a second, look around some other things in the Big 12, and there might be a coaching change about three hours south of us down on Highway 6 that we can talk about as well. All right, last year in the regular season, the Frogs were 4-0 and in one-score games. Everybody talks about one-score games, coin toss games, uh, turnover margin, that in the end, it all, it all washes out. Sometimes it washes out in one season. Sometimes it washes out over a series of seasons. It just depends on the sample size. And you can't, you can't hit blackjack 10 times in a row. You hit three in a row, you're excited. Last year, the Frogs were 4-0. This year, they're 0-4. No one is as frustrated as I am about the Frogs um, being in a tough spot to where they have to beat Baylor and then go on the road to Oklahoma just to get into a bowl game that you know, is, is, let's face it, not the Fiesta Bowl. No one has been, uh, is as frustrated as I am. So the question isn't, how do we make a change this season to get better? The question is, would you go two, 10 and 2 last year in order to be 6 and 4 right now? Because that's the way the variables could shake out. Because right now, the Frogs are 500 in one score regular season games under Sonny Dykes. He just happened to stack up four of them last year in the win column, and four of them this year are in the loss column. Do you want to go 10 and 2 just so you can be 6 and 4? Are you going to take 12 and 0 last year, losing the Big 12 title game, which was a one loss score, and then going to the Fiesta Bowl and beating Michigan? Would you trade a trip to the national championship game to be 6 and 4 right now? And that's really the question. And I know what my answer is. What's your answer? Hell no. <laughs> no way in the world. I figured that would be it. That's that would be my answer too. Is there anyone that has more schadenfreude for the University of Michigan right now than TCU fans? I mean, we, we are just delighting in the suffering of others. That's a, For all of you that don't know, schadenfreude is a German word for delighting in the suffering of others. And I'm enjoying – this is my favorite college football scandal in forever at Michigan because nobody got hurt, but it's dirty. And I love it. I, I just love watching Michigan get thrown under the bus. I hope Harbaugh gets suspended for like 40 games. That, that's kind of where I'm at. But that's the trade-off. Do you, did you want to go 10-2 and two last year and go to the Alamo Bowl, or did you want to go 12-0 and 0 last year and play for the national championship? Because that's the way that the dice rolled for us, and that doesn't mean there's no room for improvement. That doesn't mean I'm not happy about play calling. That doesn't mean we got to stop going, you know, getting for, first and goal from the four and not doing anything, so... You remember last year, <laughs> I got the board in a tiz- tizzy because everyone thought, man, if we just go 6-6... Six and six, 
it's great. Just get back to the bowl. Seven and five is awesome. Anything above that, we're playing with house money. Do you remember when I made a post asking the board the question, hey, they're seven and oh now. Are you guys still satisfied with eight and four? And everyone's like, hell no. We're, <laughs> we want to go like, here, screw eight and four. We want to go 12 and oh. But that's how things change. You know what I'm saying? That's that's how that's how fast things change. And I don't think, I mean, just, just to validate your point, I, I don't think anyone would want 10 and two last year. I think everyone, once they got that, that taste of being undefeated and yeah, playing in the Fiesta, I was just talking to my wife the other day. It's been nearly a year since we we're all in Phoenix. I mean, you're talking a month, a little over a month away, month and a half. And it's just crazy how fast things go. But, uh, I just I said it earlier in the show, talking about it's funny because you mentioned how TCU is is zero and four this year, and 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 Texas has played close games. Their their fan base is kind of like TCU was last year. They're they're kind of on pins and needles. They they don't know if the committee's going to like these these close wins and this TCU game. I mean, against Kansas State, they had to you know, get a prayer answered late in the game. Go to overtime. Yeah. Uh, they played, they struggled against Houston. So it's kind of, it reminds me so much last year, how every week the narrative was like, is, is TCU really a playoff team? And I think that's what Texas fans are going through right now. But at the end of the day, people didn't give credit to TCU. Yeah. The the doubters got their got the last laugh in the national championship, and and some of you doubters, yes, some of you guys are TCU fans that have finally crawled out of your hole this year. You start posting all about how bad the the coaching staff is this year, but you weren't. We should have hired Dion. You weren't anywhere to be found last year, it, nowhere to be found. But now that now that you look right, um, y'all are crawling out of your holes. Um, but that's just it's. It's it's funny it's funny to me because at the end of the day TCU was a good team TCU beat a Michigan team that all my Michigan buddies told me TCU was going to get beat by four touchdowns you know and so I think what gives me optimism about TCU is that was a good team that they played on Saturday Texas didn't dial things back yeah they had one drive where they ran the football because guess what they could run the football they didn't need to throw the football they were running it the whole time. Kind of cost them though, because they lose Jonathan Brooks for the season. But I think that was a really good football team TC played against. They went toe to toe with late in the late in the game. And if that kind of game doesn't give the players confidence moving forward, and maybe a little bit of optimism from the fans, that the still there still is a good team somewhere in there. If they go out and beat Baylor, if they if they have if they continue this this progress and they go out and beat Baylor by three scores, we've seen what Oklahoma's done. How crazy is the Big Twelve right now? We know we're going to talk about it, but anyone can beat anyone. There's 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 just it's 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 a crazy conference where it doesn't matter if you're at the bottom of the conference or at the top. You better come with your A game every week, or you're going to get your tails kicked in. That is correct. That is correct. It is well, you know, you you kind of uh, clipped through what I wanted to say about Texas, which is all good. But you know, this 
This is a playoff team. They're a team in contention for a playoff. Let's be really clear here. They do have that one-score loss to University of Houston where they did not look good. Obviously, going to overtime against Kansas State. Um, you know, hard, You know, having to pull one out against uh, TCU. You know what that sounds a lot like? One-score win over SMU. Overtime win against Oklahoma State. Having to pull one out against a bad Baylor team last year. I mean, there, there's a lot of similarities, like you were saying, and um, that loss to Oklahoma, man, you talk about a loss that's that's looking that's that's haunting them. They don't have any margin. They have the best win in the country right now. They still do. They have the best win in the country. They went to Alabama and won by double digits, and and that's the best win that anybody has this year. But at the same time, they're they are playing with fire. They are playing with fire. You were muted there, buddy. What were you saying? Now you're still muted. I'll just keep going here. Uh. No, I'm. So, I keep clicking the button for some reason. I'm saying TCU scored more against Texas than what Alabama did. So what do you say about that? Josh Hoover for Heisman bench Jalen Milrose. That's what I got to say. That's exactly what I got to say. Jeremy, there were a couple of games in the Big 12 of no. Did you see... The University of Central Florida Citronauts, <laughs> goal of the Knights, pounded Oklahoma State. Pounded Oklahoma State. It was embarrassing. It was like it was worse than last year when they went to Manhattan and got blown out forty something to nothing. That was insane. I cannot believe that they won Bedlam. Or maybe we shouldn't be surprised. They won Bedlam. Go on the road to Orlando and lay an egg and get run over by an improving UCF team. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the folks that were talking about Gundy and how good everything was and how they just decided to play certain players. I'm 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 just patiently oh, wait a waiting. Wait, that's me. Oh, that's you. <laughs> I, oh, you had some friends with you. You didn't come in that thing alone. So, you you were wrong. They I mean, that's what I'm saying like Oklahoma State has 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 played well. I'm not I'm not going to fault their season. Number 1, what the hell were those uniforms that Central Florida was wearing? I I, I don't get it. It looked like teal vomit. It, I, it it looked like Tulane or North Carolina. I mean, I I don't know what was going on there. I, I passed by. So when I when I got to the stadium, it was like twenty four nothing. I think Central Florida was up on Oklahoma State. But yeah, I mean, obviously you uh you don't expect you don't expect that to happen. Central Florida was by far one of the worst teams in the conference and you go out and beat a team that is just coming off uh, their best victory uh, of the season, uh, maybe in their career. Cause they get to, or maybe in their program's history, because now they get to brag about winning the last game of Bedlam. So uh, it, that game right there is a perfect example of why I wouldn't be shocked if TCU, they go, I'm, I'm predicting a win against Baylor. There's not going to be any, Crazy bold predictions from me. There's going to be a, a predicted win over Baylor. Excuse me. And then if they play well enough, then there's no reason why they can't go to Oklahoma and beat a, beat an Oklahoma team because that's what this conference is. There's 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 no team out there that's just so dominant above every other team in the conference. It, there's just not. And so that's what makes it frustrating more because if there was a year for TCU. 
to really have things put together. This this was the year, but uh, just I don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, let's take delight in the suffering of others and just uh, with glancing down south to College Station. Jeremy, if I gave you $70 million and told you you could never work for your company again, if I told you you'd get $70 million and never work for 24-7 sports again, would you take that? Because that's what the Aggies told Jimbo. I cannot believe they pulled the trigger and fired him for $70 million in cash. What what other school? Didn't they win 51-10? to 10? Is that- yeah, they they spanked Mississippi State, but the the reports are this decision was made on Thursday. They had their board of regents or trustees or whatever, and they had gotten beaten. They weren't taking it anymore, and they fired. They made that decision on Thursday. Yeah, that's what I read too. But it's just so aggy to go out <laughs> and make it look like you know those guys were like getting out there like crazy. Those guys inside the office. Hey, make sure you put that this decision was made on Thursday, so we don't look so bad after our team wins by 41. If they knew this was coming, why don't you just go to them on Friday and say, hey, you're not going to be our coach anymore, but guess what? We're still going to pay you $70 million. And just like Coach O said, you know, where, <laughs> what door do I need to go through? You know, that's that's the thing. Like He never has to do a thing ever in his life. He, he doesn't have to work ever again. Now people are going to say he's, he's got a coach's mentality. He's going to want to coach somewhere, but golly, what a mess, what a mess down there. And, uh, it just, it, it's just hilarious to me that the, t- the timing of everything just, just comes on a day after they win by 41. But I just got to wonder, like if he knew if the decision was made, did they let him know this is going to be your last game? And to me, I don't. I don't think they did. That's that's just what makes it crazier than anything. Yeah, I don't know how that unfolded exactly. I'm sure Tex Ags has got all the information. You know, I'm on there constantly. I'm on Tex Ags more than I am Hornfrog Blitz. So we'll find out. I, I don't know exactly, but you know, my my number one candidate is Tom Herman. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Fired coach from Texas goes to A and M. I think you know, it's going assume- to be Elko, Elko, or they might go after a guy like Dan Lanning, or heck, maybe even try to go after the guy that coaches at Washington. But you know, their fan base—they're going to be. We want Saban or Urban Meyer or Kirby Smart. Those are the three coaches. That's who they're going to really focus in on. Is the three of them? You know, I don't know if he's you know kind of just said maybe it's time for a change, but. Maybe Dabo Sweeney needs to go somewhere where he's not getting yelled at on his radio show and can go, you know, I think Dabo could crush it at A&M, but who knows? Well, that's the bad thing. Clemson Clemson recognizes, hey, this this guy took us from the ashes to where we are now. We're we're a prominent we're we're really considered a blue blood program. You know, their nas- last national championship was in 81 before Dabo came along. I don't think he can you know the the expectations at Clemson. You know, yeah, the fan bases they're so spoiled they they want their teams to go to the conference championship or or go to the playoffs every year. And when they don't, they lose their mind. And could you imagine? I mean, that's I don't think those coaches understand how bad of a reality Texas A and M lives in. They feel like they've won ten national championships. Eight and four is not good enough for our team. Nine and three is not good enough. 
but they haven't even been doing that. But J- Jimbo didn't do that. It was funny because you look at the comparable records between him and Sumlin. Sumlin actually had a better record, but his best his best record comes the 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 COVID year. They go nine and one. I think they finished in the top five, but other than that, it was it was not good. And they had the best recruiting class ever on paper a couple cycles ago, and. Texas A&M did not pay those players. We did not pay that yet, but your collective did. <laughs> your collective did, brother. <laughs> so, NIL works in mysterious ways, but um, yeah, I, I, I just you're they're, they're going to have to pay thirty percent of that that buyout up front, and then he then I think I saw something where he gets seven million for per, seven years for seven years, something like that. So think about it this way. They're going to have to pay him $7 million a year. Any coach worth his weight that's Urban Meyer, you think Urban Meyer would come in for less than $7 million a year? No. No. I mean, there's – so imagine any any good coach they're going to get, they're basically, for their football program, they're going to be paying $14 million probably at minimum for the next seven years for their football coach. Seven to their new coach and seven to Jimbo. And then the first year he goes eight and four, they're going to extend him for five years. And then two years later, he's going to go eight and four and they'll fire him. Um, Well, I want to close out on um, something of of importance. There is an amazing athlete out west of Fort Worth that I've heard about. I don't know where he's at on the radar. I don't know if the the recruiting uh, community has really taken hold of it. But my understanding is, um, first, you know, playoff win for Azel Christian, led by uh, none other than Brody Clark. So we want to close with some exciting news. T- tell us a little bit about the Broadster. Your son is playing high school football. I know he's had a fun season. Just give us a recap because everybody, everybody wants to to know about it. And let's let's get some more good news on this show. Yeah, we uh, we won our first playoff game. Beat a team that's knocked us out the last two or three years. I'm still trying to learn. Um, Broadster rushed for 231. He had a 60-yard kickoff return called back. It was a touchdown. Um, he's got over 600 rushing, 600 receiving this year, 21 touchdowns, I think. So he's doing he's doing good. He's, I think, uh, out of the state. Um, now, this is six-man football for you guys that are like, oh, my gosh, dude. Six-man football is tough, um, especially defense. But um, he's got – I think he's pretty much in every – uh, category top five or at least top ten in the whole state of six man, whether it's public or private schools, um, in those cat in offensive categories besides passing. Now for a sophomore, he leads the state in basically every category. So we're looking forward to it. There has been there has been a lot of people that have tried to get us to come back. I I get calls every week. Bring them back to Azel. Bring them back to Azel. They need them. Azel went three and seven this year, um, and the answer is always no. We we love where he's at. Good for him, man. Good for him. I hope I hope that uh, this playoff run keeps going. I hope hope you come back next next Saturday or next Sunday night. We can talk about a big win for Azel Christian, the Broadster going out there and putting up five hundred yards total offense, as well as a win over a terrible 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 Baylor team so Frogs play this Saturday at 2 30 on ESPN plus at home against the Baylor Bears 
Um, even, you know, we all know that a wounded dog will come after you, but we'll see what uh, Baylor puts on the field. This is a bad season for the Bears. I hear I hear things maybe getting a little sketchy for Aranda down there. So we'll see how things shake out. But I want to put this out there into the universe. Folks, I'm going to be there. I need a tailgate. I need a tailgate. So hit me up in the DMs. I want a tailgate. And don't don't say it's a tailgate if you got like crackers and cheese out there and a bottle of water. I want a Texas tailgate. Hit me up. Let me know. I can make a tour. I can go to more than one. I want to spread the wealth around, Let uh, get to know a lot of folks, especially if you've got some good red meat that you've been smoking. But let me know. I want to get there uh, get, uh, get there early. 2.30 kickoff gives us plenty of time to enjoy the afternoon. But I'll be there ready to watch the Frogs take on Baylor. And I think, I think you're right. I think they're going to get a win. And we'll see if they can put together the momentum of that fourth quarter and push it through all four against the Baylor Bears because, my gosh, it would be nice to just crush them this year. This is the worst Baylor team on the field in a long, long time. Anything else you want to throw in there, Jeremy, before we wrap up? Man, if you find a tailgate with smoked meat, let me know. I might stop by with you. We will, I, we will make that happen. You heard it. You want Jeremy and I will drop by your tailgate? Just let us know. And we give all – the inside information, the stuff you can't get on Horn Frog Blitz, that it's it's the it's on the uh, black web. It's kind of like going on the dark web. That's what it's called. It's the premium of premium. Yes, yes. Just get a couple get a couple of uh, bourbons and Jeff. He'll tell you there. He'll tell you everything. Everything. You know, I remember that uh, tailgate party we had out in Scottsdale. Remember that that bar we went to, the outdoor patio. Oh yeah, yeah you were. Man, dude, you were holding court. It was a sight to see everybody come up. Jeremy, 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 what do you think about this? What do you, what do you think about that? Are we gonna are we gonna get this guy? What do you think is gonna happen? People randomly say, "Oh my gosh, I listened to you guys' show." Man, you were you were you're in your element. That was that was a fun night, man. I mean, I this that that's what makes doing this job fun is just getting to meet the subscribers. I met annoying group of twenty uh, after the game. We were walking into the. Uh, uh, and to the presser and he he says jeremy this ought to be a good uh press conference and then he said i'm so you know i'm he gave me his real name then he and i said well what's your username and he told me annoying, annoying group of 20 really nice guy i wish i had a chance to visit more with him but um yeah that's what makes this awesome i mean i give some of you guys a hard time but it, it's fun getting to meet everyone out there and that that's what makes it this season so rough because man, you just remember so many of the good memories from last year. That I mean, you're walking up in your blazer, you're looking like you're about to hold court too, and it was man, it was fun. We had so many people talking to us, and about what thirty minutes after we got there, we realized it was a Killer Frogs event. We kind of crashed the party, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it was. They were it was glad. fun. We we were basically paid. Uh, we were paid a fee to be there. You know, people were just. We got roped in to pump the numbers up. People knew, oh my gosh, Jeremy Clark's going to be there. I got to be, I got to see him. And we got to, we got to close with a shout out to our boy Chase, who we read his letter of apology for frustration of the Sunny Dykes hire on on the show. He came up and met us. So hey, we could bullshit all night about how great last year was, but frogs lose twenty nine twenty six. 
We'll see what happens this week against Baylor. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. As always, go to hornfrogblitz.com. Now is a great time to sign up. We're going to be wrapping up this season, see if we get a bowl game, moving to National Signing Day. And um, as you've heard and seen, man, our basketball and our baseball coverage has gone through the roof. Jimmy Pluckett does an outstanding job. All of you have said we need more baseball content. We need more basketball content. we got the best man in the business running it on Torn Frog Blitz. And also give us a, a, a rating and a review on your podcasting app of choice. Subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Get the word out there about the Frogcast because we think we got a good story to tell. So until we get together again, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.